that right now as we bow in a word of prayer. Father, I just really want to lift up this great need for these people, uh, for their safety. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the response by the governors and officials who are warning. But we do pray, Lord, for safety of our people here on the East Coast, Florida and, and the Carolinas, Georgia. Lord, um, uh, keep those people safe, we pray. And I, I just am so grateful that I live in a country where Christians are the first responders oftentimes. They're the ones that, that respond with money and prayer and help. Even to a foreign country, Haiti, Cuba. And I know, Lord, there's Christians that are already funding relief efforts for this devastating hurricane. So we thank you for that, Lord, and we pray that you would uphold them. And Lord, I, I want to pray with the congregation against the Planned Parenthood, uh, established Planned Parenthood, one of the oldest ones in the country right here in San Bernardino that, that is killing babies every day. And we ask God that that terrible uh, act of murder and injustice against our people would, would stop we ask, God, that you would give us uh, officials that um, would represent you in that area uh, for the sanctity of life. And we do pray, Lord, for those that are sidewalk counseling, for the babies that are saved. Lord, we thank you. And I know, Lord, that that's a sensitive topic for some people, for there are those in this fellowship, not only women, but men that supported that in their past, and it, it hurts them to hear but Lord, we've been changed. We've been given light. And the past is gone. You've forgiven us. And Lord, we need to stand up now and, uh, against this injustice against people. So we ask, God, that you would uh, motivate us and help us to support and encourage. And, uh, and Lord, we do pray for those that are standing uh, in, a, in, a, in a public protest, but, but peaceful protest, Lord, and and sharing the gospel and, and standing in the gap there. We pray for them. And Lord, as we turn our attention now to your word, we ask, God, that you'd open our hearts. There's a message here for us in this text, and I pray that you would reveal it to each and every one of us. We love you, and we thank you for the Bible. We thank you for the word of God. This is your truth, Lord. Open it to our hearts and minds so that we might receive and then apply these truths. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Tonight we come to uh, the, the end of chapter 12. Uh, as you know, we've been studying Genesis for many, many months, and we come to chapter 12 in our verse-by-verse -verse study, and we're looking at the man Abram. Abram, this man who everyone in the world reveres, I mean almost everyone, most of the world reveres him as a, a unique person, second to Jesus Christ. He's the father of the Jews. He's the father of faith. We look at him as a great, great man of faith. And yet, as we've come to know him and meet him in his early life of faith, in his early walk of faith, he's, he's, he's a fail. He's a fail. And I, I've, I've entitled this Abram's Great Fail. This is just one of many of his fails. But here's, here's the neat thing. Don't say, you might think, Pastor Lee, why are you putting down Abram? I, I'm just trying to help you and me identify with him. We are just like this man because we're learning and we're growing. And our character, as we fail, God's tests in our lives, just as Abram fails tonight, we fail. And from that, God leads us and helps us. We get back on our feet and we grow a little bit and we fail and we grow. That's, that's the life of faith. This is the real life of faith. The life of faith isn't God 
pulled Abraham out of that, that uh, idolatrous country and bing, made him a perfect saint. No, that's not reality. It wasn't for him and it's not for us. That's the beautiful thing about studying the scriptures. They're true. And uh, as we look at them, tonight we're going to see Abram. He's going to make bad decisions. He's going to make mistakes. And those mistakes are for us as we read them. They're in perpetuity. Everybody's reading them. We see them over and over again. Everybody reads them. Every generation reads about this man. Can you imagine? All of your failures being written so everyone can read them. And you're the example of a fail. And yet, as we know, he grows in his faith. And as he matures in his faith, he becomes this great man. But he starts here in the beginning making uh, mistakes. I heard someone say, I mean, you've all heard it say, things like, that's the first mistake I've ever made. I mean, have you ever said that before? Or, or maybe someone just a little bit arrogant might say, that's the first mistake I made this year. Or someone that's really obnoxious, they say, that's the first mistake I've ever made. And so we see this, uh, we've said that, right? I, I, we don't like to admit our mistakes, but we all make them. And although mistakes aren't necessarily sin, they can easily become sin if they're left to their full extent in our life. If they just continue unchecked in our life, they become sin. One mistake often leads to another. We begin to excuse and we cover them up, and pretty soon we get deeper and deeper, and, and, and it just drags us down, doesn't it? And I know you, I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but I know you can identify with this as I do. We've all done that. It's kind of like dominoes, you know, just one starts and hits the next one, and, they just, and it gets going faster and just keeps going, keeps going, it's out of control. That's the way it is. You make a mistake, you fall into sin, and you just continue to do it. God wants to um, help us. Now, we'll see in the story tonight that although Abram makes great mistakes and failures and sins, God will rescue him just like he'll rescue you and me when we make those same mistakes, when we sin, because that's what happens here in this great fail. It all begins with a famine in chapter 12, verse 10. Follow along with me in your Bible. Now there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt that he said to Sarai, his wife, uh, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, they're going to say, this is his wife. And then they're going to kill me, but they're going to let you live. Please say, Sarai, please say that you're my sister. Go along with this lie with me. Tell the others about th- that you're my sister, that it might be well with me for your sake. I mean, gee, if I die, you're going to lose everything. You think that's what he's saying. And that I might live because of you. So it was when Abram came to Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman and that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh, the the officials, the government officials, they also saw her and they commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house and he treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. Just because of this lie, Abram now is rolling in dough. He's got all this stuff. He's been rewarded because of his 
beautiful sister. Now, we've all done it. We've all told a lie in our life. We've made a poor choice, and in this case, that's what he's done here. And you do it, and then you, later that night, you, know, you go to bed, and in the silence of, of your, your bedroom, in that quiet place in your room, the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit begins to work, right? And your stomach feels funny and turns over, and you toss, and you turn, and you, it's hard to go to sleep because you told a lie. And as a believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, and he reveals that to you. It's so true, isn't it? And, and it's this story, again, this is so good. We, we all make mistakes. We all fail, but we're going to look at Abram. So it's not about you tonight. It's about Abram, so we can all go, whew, you know, I'm not going to be exposed tonight. But, but can I just say, let the Holy Spirit expose. If there's sin there, let, it, let him expose it to you. I'm not asking you to say it publicly. You can just, in the quietness of your place right now, you can say, God, forgive me. As we confess our sin, he's faithful and just forgive us and cleanse us. That's what we want. And that'll help you to even receive the word. But that's what's happening here in Abram's life. His failures begin to overtake him. And they, they really, they devastate him, his wife lives, and, and, and then other people are going to be endangered because of what he's saying. And this is the man of faith. This is Abram. And so far, in these first 12 chapters of Genesis, we've read about a lot of failure. And I hope you get it. As we go through the book of Genesis, we're seeing the big fails as we go through. Eve, she disobeyed a direct command that came from God, and she ate the fruit. Cain killed his brother, Abel. Noah, after being saved on the ark, first thing he does is get off the ark. Remember what happened? gets drunk, and, and, and then gets naked in his tent. I mean, then God's chosen man later on, as we'll discover, Moses. He kills a man. He murders someone. David had an affair. Jonah ran from God. Peter denied the Lord. Paul persecuted Christians. Uh, we could name, 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 name all through the Bible. And here's the, the beautiful thing. Although these are Bible heroes, each and every one had their epic fails. They all struggled just as you and I. And this is what I love about the Bible. Don't you love that the Bible's a real book? The Bible doesn't just paint this rosy picture of everyone just perfectly floating along in their life and they, nothing ever goes wrong. No, these are real people that had real struggles. And every one of your heroes and my heroes of the faith in the Bible, they all sinned because they were like you and like me. And again, I find great comfort in that because I fail a lot and we're not perfect. We're just like Abram. And, and as he grew, I have hope. I can grow like Abram in my faith and I, I can get beyond some of these mistakes and failures and sins in my own life. So Abram, instead of trusting God here, as we go back to verse 10 in chapter 12, Here's my first point. Abram ran to Egypt. Instead of staying where God called him to, he runs. Now there was a famine in the land, verse 10, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there. Now, seems like a logical thing to do, right? I mean, there's a famine in the land. Abram has a lot of animals. He's got a lot of people. They need water to exist. So it, it seems like a, a, a reasonable thing to do to, to go down, uh, to leave this area and, and go down to this Egypt, where you have the fertile Nile River Valley, and there's lots of water there, and there's plenty for the animals and all. But you have to remember that Abram, 
was told by God to leave Ur of the Chaldees and all that idolatry that was going on in that country to a land that I will show you. So follow me, Abram. Trust in me, Abram. Go where I call you to go, Abram. God had already told him to do that. He should have stayed. He should have stayed and trusted the Lord. Go back to verse 2, chapter 12, all the way back to verse 2. Because God told Abram, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those or him who curses you. I'll protect you, Abram. You just go where I want you to go and stay there. And in all you, the families of the earth will be blessed. What a great promise. What great hope. Abram was sent to Canaan. But instead of staying in Canaan and trusting in the Lord, where God had led him, Abram leaves Canaan and leaves God's best for him, leaves God's choice for him, leaves the place where he's really supposed to be in Canaan, and he goes to Egypt. So Abram, he left God's best, he ran away from God's uh, best, and, and really flunked. He failed God's test. That was a test, by the way. God said, go, I'll protect you. No one will harm you, so go and, and trust me. So he gets to Canaan, and there's a famine. He gets to Canaan, and there's Canaanites all around, these idolatrous people, and, and he's not comfortable there, but that's where God had planted him. That's where God placed him. Instead of staying, he runs. He runs to Egypt. He hadn't learned how to live by faith. Whenever you grow as a Christian, and, and we all grow step by step. The Christian life is, is a marathon. It's, 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 uh, Paul referred to it as a race. We're, we're to continue in the race. But it's not a sprint to the end. It's a marathon. And we're working slowly but surely and growing in Christ. God wants you to experience these things, whether it be you know, horn honking on the freeway or people cutting you off and you test your patience. Or, or maybe a marital issue or your children upside down. Whatever it is, these are tests that God can, can bring resolution as you trust him by faith, as you walk according to his word. And all of those things are meant to test and to, to try us, to show us who we are. I, I really have come to, I don't, I, don't, I don't want more tests, but when they do come, I, I, I understand what they're for. There's an area in my life that God wants to expose. There's a place he wants me to grow. And so he tests me, and he tests Abram. Here's the example. We're seeing it here tonight. Abram hadn't learned, though, to live by faith. He's, he's walking. He's doing baby steps right now in his life. We've just met him. He's just met the Lord. He's trying to obey God. Uh, he's learning. Someone said this. Look at this quote behind me on the screen. It's easy to profess faith. It's a different thing entirely to possess it. Isn't that true? It's so easy to say, I have faith. But then it's hard to live by faith as well. Here's the application. When was the last time you ran from Canaan, where God planted you, to Egypt? That doesn't mean a, a, a local place. You know, it, it doesn't mean that you're to, to uh, jump on a, go down to L.A. right now and jump on a plane and go to Cairo. That's not what I'm saying. But God has placed you somewhere. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a location. Maybe it's with a group of people to fellowship and, and share your Christian witness to. A church could be. 
And God has called you there, and you need to be faithful in that place. We've all been in that place before where instead of standing our ground and trusting the Lord, we've run to Egypt. That's the example here. Instead of asking God to provide our needs for our limited bank account, we just put it on plastic. I mean, we're so quick to to say, well, you know, I'm not going to walk by faith. I'm going to walk by sight. I look at my checkbook, and, and so I need this. So zip, 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 and pretty soon the bill comes. And it's like, oh, no, what do I do now? Well, I'll go get a consolidation loan. It takes the pressure off, and then zip, zip, zip. People do that all the time, by the way. We need to go to the Lord and say, Lord, is this what you want for me? And, and yeah, God was going to provide transportation. It just wasn't a Mercedes Benz. It was just a simple car, the one around the corner that, you mean the, the beater with the dented door? Yeah, that's the one I wanted for you, but you didn't ask me. I, I would have provided that for you. But you had to zip, zip, or what you had to put it on. You see what I mean? We run to Egypt rather than run and walk by faith. We do it in a lot of different areas in our life. We run to Egypt, and instead of praying and asking the Lord, instead of obeying the scriptures, when anyone is sick, let him come to the elders of the church, and they'll anoint you with oil, and then they'll pray a prayer of faith. Have you heard that before? How many of us really do that and believe that? We get sick. I, I do see people coming up for prayer, and normally it's like, Pastor Lee, I, I was just told I'm, I've got cancer. Well, what about a sore throat, or what about a, a difficulty that you're going through, and you just can't shake it? I need prayer for this cough or this whatever. Trusting the Lord. What we do is we go to the doctor, and that's not a bad thing. The doctor can give us medicine, but did we go by faith to the Lord and get information and get uh, direction from him first. That's all I'm saying. We're so quick to move straight to Egypt rather than come to the Lord and stand our ground and just trust him. So Abram, this giant of faith, as we come to know, he wasn't really different than you and I after all, was he? He was the same as you and I. It took him, remember, years to leave Ur. He was told to leave Ur. We read that in Uh, a reference in the New Testament I gave a couple of weeks ago. He was told to go, but he didn't leave Ur. He went to Haran with his dad, and he stayed in Haran, which is still in the Chaldees. He stayed there until his father died. He was 75 years old when he finally trusted the Lord and went to Canaan, where God had called him to go. It took him a long time to get there. He didn't trust the Lord immediately. And again, for you and I, we need to understand, we, do, we just need to trust God. We need to walk by faith. We need to go to him first. We need to trust and turn to him first. So Abram, verse 4, look real quickly at it with me. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him. Lot went with him, and Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And then when he got there, we remember it wasn't lush. It wasn't uninhabited. It wasn't like this, this beautiful new land with nobody there. It was a place that was inhabited by these really evil people, the Canaanites. And also there was a famine there. It says that right here in verse 10. So instead of trusting the Lord, he runs down to Egypt And he had a bunch of people with him, and he had a bunch of livestock with him. 
And so he makes the decision. You know what? I need to decide this for myself. Instead of asking God, instead of walking by faith, I need to go down where there's water. I know there's water. So he takes everybody down to this place. That's his big fail. He failed his, his first test. His second mistake was he rationalized his lie. This is really telling, and I hope that you get it. Notice verse 11. And it came to pass when he was close to entering Egypt. He started thinking about the whole situation. I'm going I'm to go down there, and I know there's an established country there. He, he knew Egypt. There's a pharaoh. There's stuff going on there. I'm a foreigner. What's going to happen to me? Well, what happens to a lot of people? They go in and with a beautiful wife or with someone that had a lot of things, they, they were killed and the stuff was taken. And he knows that could be a possibility. But instead of trusting the Lord and praying and trusting God, here's what he does. Therefore, it will happen when the Egyptians see you, Sarai. They're going to say, this is his wife, and they're going to kill me. But they're going to let you live. So please say that you're my sister, that it may be well with me for your sake, that I may live because of you. So he starts to rationalize his sin. He's not trusting the Lord. He's going to live a lie. That's what He's telling a lie right now. And he's asking his wife to go along with him and to live this lie Again, instead of trusting in the Lord, instead of being preserved by the word that God had given him, he steps out of faith and into his own choice here, and he makes this mistake. And I, I believe that Abram may have said something like this, you know, to, to Sarai. Well, you know, we're not really lying, Sarai. This is, you're, you're kind of, you really are my half-sister, which is really the truth. She, she really was his half-sister. Let me show you this. We're going to get there in a few weeks, but Genesis 20, verse 12. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but the, not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So it's a stepsister situation there that he married. And again, this, this happens. We're going to find out in Genesis chapter 20 that he does the same thing with the king Abimelech. He's going to do the same thing, have his wife lie to her too. It takes a long time for him to, to learn, but he's rationalizing away his sin. I was trying to think of a really good example. How could I, how could I illustrate this the best? Who, is, who do you relate to when it comes to someone that, that tries you to buy something you don't want to buy? Someone that's really, really kind of sleazy and, and, and he'll, he'll really turn the crank and try to get you to, to purchase something that you're not used to. Here it is. Check this picture out. <laughs> a used car salesman. Now, if you're a used car salesman, God forgive me. I, I don't mean to put something on you that's not true, but we all have this thought about a used car salesman, that they could sell you anything. I love that picture, by the way. It made me, made me chuckle. But we rationalize everything in our lives. If we're going to live in sin, we're going to have to rationalize those things and make excuses over and over again. And that's what we see in Abram. He's rationalizing, and he's moving toward Egypt and closer to the Lord. But God expects you and I as his children. He expects you and I to admit our failures and not live in them. He expects us to man up, to stand up to those things that we've done that are wrong and admit our sin to those around us. He wants us to be humble, not proud. In fact, look at this verse here, James 4, verse 6. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. We are to be humble. If you're struggling with a sin, with something that's really bothering you and it besets you every day, you need to humble yourself. 
you need to just humble yourself and admit it. This is, I just struggle with this. This is hard for me. God, help me. And admit it to others around you and, and tell others around you. Because we're to be truthful. Christians are to be truthful. We're not to rationalize sin. We're not to excuse sin. And this lie Abraham told was very costly to him. It cost him his witness. Think about that. He's supposed to represent a righteous God, and he's a man of faith. And he goes into this foreign country, but Pharaoh is more righteous than Abram in this story. Any door of opportunity Abram had to proclaim the true and living God to Pharaoh and the people around him, he just lost it all. The, the door was completely shut. And I'm thinking that it damaged his marriage relationship too. Can you imagine? He had to talk Sarai into going along with his lie. Come on, honey, just, just say you're my, my sister. Now think about what would happen, men, those of you that are married, what would happen if some stranger showed interest in your wife and you just tell him, oh, just sit with her. She's just my sister. I mean, think about that. It's appalling to us. That is what's happening here in this story. You as a husband, men, are to love and cherish your wife and protect her. You're not to do what Abram did. I mean, think about what he did. It was, it was horrible. It was sinful. And Abram's rationalization must have had an impact on his wife as well. And we've all done something stupid. We've all made mistakes. There's no doubt about it. Someone said this, and I've put this quote up behind me on the screen. Credibility. Credibility takes a long time to establish, but only an instant to destroy. Think about that. One word, one, one action can really destroy that. And Christians, we are not to rationalize away sin. We're to call sin what it is. We're to confess our sin. Here's the great verse, 1 John 1, 9. I, I use this constantly because I need it. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from a couple of sins, from all unrighteousness. Notice that. That's really a key. Because don't you need all your sins forgiven? You don't need some of them forgiven. You need all of them. But you have to confess them all. You can't confess some and say, well, these are my secret ones, Lord. Nobody sees these. These are mine. No, you need to confess your sin. Confess your sin to the Lord, and he'll remove them. He'll, he'll forgive you of your sins. So we confess the, our sins to the Lord first. We confess our sin to our spouse. Our, we confess our sins to our kids and our friends. And when you do that, you gain credibility in their eyes. When you're real and when you're honest, when you admit your failures to them. So, so Christians, here's the application. Stop rationalizing sin. Stop it. He did it. We need to stop it. I love this verse. I just threw this one in here. This is a verse you know, 2 Chronicles 7.14. This is what God requires of his people in the church. Before we can have an impact at a Planned Parenthood abortion mill, before we can have an impact on the people around us in our city, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, I love this, and pray and seek my face and, notice, turn from their wicked ways. We need to confess our sin. Because when we do that, that's when he hears our prayer. That's when he begins healing in our land. And our land needs healing, amen? 
we need to. Judgment begins in the house of the Lord if my people will humble themselves. So back to Abram. Abram is now living a lie. He's rationalizing his lie. He's rationalizing his sin. And, and now sin is going to bring God's judgment, but it's, it's an interesting judgment here because it's rescue. God had promised Abram he'd, he was going to take care of him. And God wonderfully rescues Abram. Look at verse 14. So it was when Abram came to Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman that she was very beautiful. And the princes and Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abram well for her sake. Oh, she's so beautiful. I'm going to give you all these other things, riches and riches. And so here is, I can just see Abram's kicking back. He's eating grapes. He's got extra money, and he's got everything that he would want. And his wife, his wife is now a, in the harem of Pharaoh. Can you imagine? What was going on in his heart? What was going on in his, his life at that at particular time? I believe he's being worked over. And I've been there. The Holy Spirit just works you over. And listen, Christian, don't fight it. You need to admit it. You need to confess it to the Lord and to those around you. But here's a funny thought. When I was studying this, I came across a commentary, a really great commentary by these German uh, commentary, Kyle and it's Dezelk. Dezelk. It's Kyle and Dezelk, if you've ever read their commentary. Very, very good, very deep. But they make a, make a funny comment here about Sarai's beauty and how Egyptian Women, and I quote, so I'm quoting what they said in this commentary. According to ancient and modern testimony, Egyptian women were generally ugly, he says. I, know, I don't know how he knew that. I, I, that's why I chuckled when I left. How did he know that? Some commentators. But, but they're saying that they had some kind of evidence. I don't know really what it was. But think about this. Sarai is how old in this Abram is 75, Sarai is about 65 years old. So your first thought is, gee, 65? I mean, youth fades really quick once you hit 40, right? <laughs> and and I'm, I'm, I'm almost to 60 now, and, and I'm not talking about women. I'm talking about me, and I'm, I'm getting older, and, and, and things are changing, right? She's 65. But here's the truth. These people, remember, we're, we're seeing people live twice as long as what we're living now. Um, Abram's going to live 175 years. She's going to live about 130 years. So she's right in the prime of her life. She's like a 30-year-old, I'm guessing. And I believe the text would, would indicate that. She's beautiful, and everybody knows it. She is the most magnificent woman. She is the beauty queen of Egypt. She walks in there, and everybody's dropped jawed, dead, gorgeous woman walks in, and everybody sees it. And all the princes come running, because the people first see it. And then all the government officials say, where, where is this beautiful? Wow, she is gorgeous. Pharaoh, you got to see this woman. She is drop dead gorgeous. That's the story that's going on here. Can you imagine, again, Abram up to this point? He's rewarded for a moment. He's rewarded for a lie that he told. He, he's living a lie, and he's getting this reward for this moment. It says here that Pharaoh treated Abram, verse 16, well for her sake and all the things that, that he had. So he thinks he's beat the system. Man, I, I made a good decision here. I, I'm, I'm walking tall. Look at it. It pays to lie. 
for a moment. For a moment. Our sins bring pleasure for a moment. And that's what we're seeing here in his life. But one of the things Abraham acquired when he was in Egypt, one of the many things that he acquired was the Egyptian girl, Hagar. And for those of you that read the Bible, you know what problems that brought into not only his life, but Sarai's life and their lives together. And the nation of Israel, even to this very day, struggle with the offspring of Abram and Hagar. The Arab people are an offshoot of Hagar. They're the people that are persecuting the Jews. Even today, it's a problem. So he's living a lie, but then the consequences are going to go on and on and on. There's so many great truths in here we could, you know, dig around and look at and, and apply, but hope, hopefully you'll understand, hopefully you'll get it here. But Abraham's fail here is like dominoes. They start going, and you can't catch up, and then they spread out, and they just keep going. They don't stop, and that's what's happening with his, his lie. So Abram's sin. It brought God's hand of judgment into the situation. And Christians, I hope that you get the story here. Because rather than rationalizing a lie, we should be honest and tell the Lord we're sorry. I mean, we should recognize it as quickly as we can and admit it right away. Otherwise, we'll rationalize the lie. And the outcome... Sarai, Hagar, Abram, the Arab nation against Israel. The outcome of our sin and this lie that we live can hurt others. It can cause a believer to stumble or even worse. If you're living a lie, you'll never have the right testimony to bring that person to Christ. Could it be that they could die in their sin because you were living a lie? See, do you see how important it is? You can't rationalize your sin away. And God begins to do this rescue mission for Abram. He's going to save him from this lie. And it involves Sarai too. God kept Pharaoh from initiating physical contact, I believe, with Sarai. Look at verse 19. Why did you say, Pharaoh says to Abram, why did you say she's my sister? I might, notice, I might have taken her as my wife. And so I believe God is working in the background, and he's not allowed that to happen. And Abraham's sin has, has such great potential to hurt other people. If Pharaoh had taken Sarai to be his wife, that would have caused Pharaoh to sin. It would have brought um, disgrace to his nation. And here's the application. This illustrates that when any of us as believers go to Egypt rather than staying where God has called us to be. The consequences are so great. Others fall away. Others stay away from God because of our sin. And it, it's really a sobering reality to know that your sin as a believer can cause other people to get hurt. And then in verse 17 here, it tells us, while Abraham's eyes were off the Lord, but the Lord's eyes were never off Abraham. I, I love that truth. Because God begins to intervene, and he strikes Pharaoh and his household with, 
with this plague. Look what it says. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues. Great plagues. Not one, but many plagues. And they weren't small. They were great plagues. It doesn't tell us really what they are. The Hebrew word is naga, and it means sore, or could mean disease, or mark, like leprosy. Leprosy came into the people of Egypt, and the doctors are trying to figure it out, and all the people are trying to figure out what happened, what happened. It's the beautiful woman. When, when Abram and that beautiful woman came, everything changed in our nation. Something happened, and they knew that. They understood that. 2 Timothy 2.3 says this. It says, if we are faithless, God remains faithful. He can't deny himself. We, we need to understand that. God will be faithful through all of these things. This plague is going to come, and it's going to bring everyone to understand that it was a sin that was was rationalized. It was a sin. It was a lie. They're all going to understand that. So the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with, a great, with all these plagues. Moses is the writer here. He doesn't tell us. I, it's always interesting to me when I'm reading. I say, why, doesn't, why don't we know this? How do they figure it out? But I, I do believe through the timing of things, they, they finally figured it out that the plagues were a result of Abram's sin and this beautiful woman. So the next thing that happens here in verse 18 is Pharaoh kicks Abe out. He kicks him out. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you've done to me? Why did you not tell me she was your wife? How did he find out that? How did Pharaoh know that? He must have inquired and he probably finally went to her and she finally told him. And so he goes and says, why didn't you tell me that? Verse 19, why, didn't you, why did you say she's my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here's your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Faithful Abram is rebuked and corrected by a wicked king, by, by this secular king, by this idolatrous king, Pharaoh. Isn't that interesting? How God will use, God can use anybody in your life. He can use a pastor speaking a message. He can use someone else that's a sinner to bring judgment to his people for his good, for his purpose. God is sovereign. He does what he wills. And we as his people need to really get with the program and understand that, that we're not to lie and we're not to rationalize lies and we're to, to live in a godly way. When Pharaoh calls Abram to account, Abram doesn't say a word. He just goes. There's no comment here. Pharaoh says, you did it. You were wrong. You would have caused all these problems. Get out of here. And Abram doesn't turn around and try to rationalize anymore. He's been busted and God's done the work through uh, Pharaoh. Here are the things that we learn from this story as a Christian. If you get rebuked by someone because of your sin, especially by an unbeliever, you just need to confess it. 
Humble yourself. Don't let your pride say, you know, it wasn't me, it was them. It wasn't me, it was my dad. It wasn't me, it was the, the booze. It wasn't me. It's better just to say it was me. Just confess your sin like the scripture says. Confess your sin to that person right away and ask that person for forgiveness. And then, most importantly, begin to pray and say, God, God help me. Give me a, give me a chance to be faithful in, in this test. Let, let me do this again and I'll do it the right way, Father. Give me a second chance to do that. And don't minimize, don't rationalize away your sin. That's always the wrong thing to do. When I read this story and I look at it in its, its entirety, these verses that we looked at tonight, one of the things that emerges for me is that when Abram was faithless, God was faithful. God is always faithful. God remains faithful. He wants to restore us. You're his child. He loves you. Listen, you might have heard this study tonight and go, oh, man, I, I'm really bad. I, 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 I've done the wrong thing. I don't know what to do now. This is what you do. You humble yourself. You ask God forgiveness. You confess your sin. And as you do that, I believe as you do that, God will restore you. That's always his response to his child that comes to him Asking forgiveness, restoration. It's always that way. We see it throughout the scripture. So in conclusion, let me just make this one statement. Are you staying in the place that God has called you to be? In this case, Canaan. It's uncomfortable. There's a drought. There's nasty people all around. Maybe you work with that kind of situation. There's a drought of Christians. There's nasty people all around you. But God puts you there in that job. And so you need to be faithful. Otherwise, you're going to run to Egypt. You're going to justify your sin. You're going you're to rationalize your choice, your mistake. And we as people of God cannot do that. We can't compromise at all. All it takes to get to Egypt is a mistake, just a little compromise. And pretty soon, you're so far from the Lord, it's, it's hard to even imagine where you came from. And so tonight, we have a few minutes, and I'm just going to ask that we take a moment to bow before the Lord, and in the quietness of your heart, let's do business with God, because there's something the Holy Spirit has, has illuminated, a sin in your life that, that you've acknowledged, but you really haven't confessed it as sin. And I want to take time to do that now, so with your head bowed, with your eyes closed, I'm going to lead in prayer, and then I'm going to stop. And that'll be your opportunity to let the Holy Spirit work and then, and then ask for forgiveness. Father, thank you for this study of this man, Abram, who we all know will one day be the father of faith. But at this point in his young life, he, he's really a failure. He's failing the test. He's... He's rationalizing his lie. He, he, he brought his wife into the whole lie. And yet you intervened and you were faithful. I pray tonight, Lord, that as you reveal by your Holy Spirit our sins, 
Lord, that we wouldn't candy coat them, that we wouldn't rationalize them, that we would call sin, sin. So forgive us, O Lord. Cleanse us, O God. Wash us with your blood. So right now in the quietness, I'm just going to, one minute, just going to be totally quiet. And let's, your head bowed and your heart open to the Lord. Allow the Holy Spirit to do his work and confess your sin right now. Father, how I thank you for your amazing grace. Your love that you bestow and pour out upon each of us as your children. The mercy that's so wide and vast. and It's greater than my sin. It's greater than our sin. Oh, how we thank you for your grace and your mercy, oh God. As David in Psalm 21 said, that he confessed his sin. It was his personal sin. His lie that he led for so long. He lived it, he led it, he, he, he didn't own up to it until you finally exposed it. Lord, it hurts, but thank you for exposing our sins so that we might come to the throne of grace and mercy and there find forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. I just pray for each believer here tonight that they would just feel and sense the washing, cleansing work of the blood of Jesus Christ. As we confess our sin, Lord, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Glory to you, O oh God. Thank you for your faithfulness when we are faithless. Thank you for your goodness and the work that you did in this story, Lord, that you'll do in our lives as well. And those tests, Lord, that come maybe on a daily basis for some of us, Lord, that we would pass them or that we would grow and mature to be sons and daughters of the Most High God, walking in holiness and obedience to the word. Lord, pour out your spirit so that we might please you in all that we do. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.